Our scripture lesson today comes from Paul's admonitions to the early church in Thessalonica. Uh, Let's share in God's good word together. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them, see that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Greg, would you like to say grace? Oh, uh, well, uh, Greg's Jewish dad. You know that. You're telling me Jews don't pray, honey? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 no. No, I'd love to. Pam, come on. It's not like I'm a rabbi or something. I said grace at many a dinner table. Oh, dear God, day by day by day, oh, dear Lord, three things we pray, to love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly. Day by day. By day. Amen. 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 When it comes to prayer, this is often what we think of. Can we say the right thing at the right time? By the way, Thanksgiving's coming. Be prepared. You never know. You never know. But when it comes to prayer, what we really want to do when it comes to God, if we're wise, is to what? Listen. It's not about what we say. It's about listening to God, seeing where God is moving and joining God there. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. And we're going to take the next step together. Um, The first week, uh, we're in a four-week series. Uh, The first step in our walk with Christ is gratitude. Will you say gratitude with me? Gratitude, also known as thankfulness. And what we find in the research, which is wonderful, is that thankful people are happy people. People who recognize that all our gifts come from God, our health, our life, our breath, our vocation, our families, our friends, our homes, all of it is a gift of God. And those of us who give thanks and show gratitude for these things have less uh, stomach problems, lower blood pressure, uh, enjoy life more, uh, and, and, and will self-report as happier people than people who are not thankful. Now, what's interesting is that this isn't true in reverse. There are plenty of people with lots of wonderful things going on in their life, lots to be thankful for, but they're not. And when they're not, they're miserable. Uh, Some of the most interesting uh, research that you can find, if you want to do this this afternoon, I recommend it to you, although it's depressing, is look at the lives of lottery winners. Look at them over a five or ten year period and look how their lives fall apart, how they're miserable, they can't trust anyone, Their family and friends come to use them and take from them. They get paranoid and their life falls apart. Now, I know some of you are like, well, I'm willing to try it. (laughs) But friends, thankful people, grateful people are happy people. But it's not necessarily true the other way. Uh, There's plenty of people that have lots to be thankful for, um, but they're not. So this is a key to, to a happy life, a really good life, a next step in Christ 
for your good. Remember that everything God commands us and everything God asks of us is for our good. It's for our good. Our founder, John Wesley, called them covered blessings, these promises of God. Covered promises. Every time God says do this, it's for your good. It's a blessing coming your way. The second step that Andy took us through last week is to be faithful. Will you say faithful with me? Faithful. Now, this is important. Oftentimes, in the Protestant church in particular, we will mistake faithfulness for belief. And that's not what we're saying. James, the brother of Jesus, actually says, even the demons believe and shudder. So belief in Jesus is not the key. Trust in Jesus and following him. So if you're standing in the flames, if you're standing in the fire, if your life is a wreck and Jesus walks by and he says, follow me. And you say, yep, I believe Jesus. There he goes. He, he just walked on by. Does that help you? No, you are still in the flames. Your life is still in a mess and you are burning up. It is terrible. If you want to be faithful and Jesus says, follow me, what do you have to do? Follow him. You got to go. You got to step out of the flames. And that is the path to heaven. That is the path to the kingdom of God. Actually following him, not belief in him, but following him, trusting him with your life. That leads us to the third step. Well, how are you going to follow Jesus if you don't ever talk to him? You don't know what he's saying. So the third step is to pray and to listen. To pray and to listen. And so this is, this is really important that we learn to hear God's voice. What it sounds like. What God says. What God doesn't say. How God says it. Uh, and what God says and when he says it. And that it's consistent. Now, my uh, mentor, Dallas Willard, would say it like this. God doesn't mumble. Think about that. God doesn't mumble. If, if God wants you to know something, you'll know it. You don't have to worry about that. And many of you all in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. You've had a direct experience of if you just, you just knew that that was what you're supposed to do in a job or the person you're supposed to marry or when it was time to have children. I mean, you just knew God was very direct. It's time. This is the time. Do it now. Go. And, and you have a sense of that and you know that to be true. But the trick is so often when I talk to folks, they'll say, I just don't know what God wants me to do. That's not true. You do know what God wants you to do. You just don't want to do it. That's the reality of it. Right? Have you ever told your child, clean your room? And they're like, what does clean mean? Right? It's not that they don't understand. It's about their heart. It's not the want to. So to pray is to listen and to respond to what God is doing and to join him there. Now, listening, as you know, can be difficult if all we do is what? Talk. Some of you have been in relationships like this. Um, you call someone up on the phone and, and you're like, hey, let's visit. And then you don't say anything next until you say goodbye. Right. Now, and, and there's not really a relationship there. I, I don't know what that is, but it's not a relationship. Um, some of us talk to God in the same way we talk uh, to the person that takes our order at Walmart when we go to pick up our groceries. Um, I need some pickles, I need some mustard, I need some ketchup, I need some dishwashing detergent, uh, I need some milk because we're almost out of that. Uh, better get some juice and some orange juice and some apple juice and you know, need some of this over here. You know. and, and that, if we're not careful, that's how we talk to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying, you may have a wonderful relationship with the person at Walmart that takes your order, but I doubt it. Right? I mean, I doubt it. I hope you do. But most of us uh, rarely even say, oh, and how may I help you today? Right? Have you ever done that with, with somebody who's serving you? And it blows their mind. Like, what? I love asking waiters and waitresses how I can pray for them. Um, yeah, I'm always amazed at what God does in, in those moments. They're just blown away that somebody would actually stop and take a moment to ask them how they're doing and, and how we might pray for them. They really like it because I tell them it's free. Like, I can pray for them for free. They're like, oh, I'll take that. Okay. 
very good. And I'm always amazed at how often when the Spirit leads me to do that, that waiter or waitress has a mom who's battling cancer or a dad who just lost his job or a friend who just committed suicide, and they really are desperate for that, that moment of touch. See, God is always what? Good. How often? All the time, and all the time, God is good. And so all of this is for your good. And prayer is the way we tap into that. Prayer is listening to God and responding to God and working with God. So prayer is. Sometimes when we want to find out what something is, it's helpful to know what it's not. And so in these next couple of blanks, we're going to talk about what prayer is not. So prayer is not non-action. Will you say that with me? Prayer is not non-action, right? So to work is to pray, to step into where God calls us. When Jesus is calling people to do things, when God is Jesus, when Jesus and God and Jesus are asking people to be healed, he'll say things like, pick up your mat and walk, right? And if he picks up his mat, he can walk. If he doesn't pick up his mat, he's not going to walk. He'll say, go to the, to the pool and, and wash your eyes and you will see. But you notice that Jesus most of the time, is instructing people to go and do something to participate in their healing, to participate in their faith walk. Does this make sense? It's not that you're not doing anything in prayer. You're actually engaged with what God is asking you to do. So Dallas Willard, my mentor that I mentioned just a moment ago, uh, passed away in 2013. But before that, uh, I got to spend two weeks with him in 2009. And he says this, that prayer is talking with God about what we're thinking and doing. The key word is together together. It is, say it with me, co-laboring with God to accomplish the good purposes of his kingdom. Now, uh, when I was studying under Dallas, he would say it's a lot like power steering. Now, I don't know. It's tricky because this is the, the younger group of the two services, um, but I'll, I'll risk it. How many of you here learned to drive or have ever driven a vehicle or, or any kind of a vehicle that did not have power steering? Hey, you did. Okay, good. So I learned on my mom's 1962 Chevy that she bought straight out of college. It had three on the tree. Some of the junior high kids are like, there were trees and cars, what? So, you know, it was down as one and two and three and down and reverse and back and up as, you know, that's how you do it. And, and this car was so old that the floor had rusted out. It was kind of like a Flintstones car. You could put your feet through, but you, you didn't want to. And, um, but anyway, that's how my sister and I learned to drive. And, but it had no seat belts, had no air conditioning, and, and had no power brakes or steering. And so, um, any of you all ever, here's the thing about power steering. Is it easy or hard? Power steering is easy. Without it, it's hard, particularly if the car is stopped. You ever try to turn a non-power steering wheel when, then, when you're to the dead stop? You almost can't do it. It depends on the weight of the vehicle. I mean, you cannot do that. But that's the way it is with prayer. You see, you need that movement. You need, to, you need that movement. You've got to start taking a step. And as the car would roll, then you could begin to turn. You could then begin to move it. And those of you who learned to drive on a car like that know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, I'm happy to learn to drive an Audi. That'd be great. Um, but that just happened to be that steering wheel that we picked today. So here's the thing. Prayer is like power steering. It's power sharing. So God says, do this. You say yes. And you start to turn. And the car turns by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's a metaphor, friends. So um, think about that. In your prayer life, you have a peace. God has a peace. Where you go, you're going together. Now, what that means is that prayer is not manipulating God, right? It's not you talking God into something. It's not you getting your way with God because God is God and God is good all the time. So what we want to do is listen to God, what God is doing, and join him there to respond to what God is doing. 
First John says it this way. And this is the boldness we have in him, meaning Jesus, that if we ask anything according to Jesus' will, he hears us. Now, this is important, friends, because I've heard people go really wackadoo places with this. And that is, they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I prayed this in Jesus' name, so it's going to happen. No. No. Many of you all have people that work for you. And they'll send an email in your name or they'll write a letter in your name. And you know as well as I do, if they don't write the letter in the way that you would have written it, that's their last letter to write. Right? It has to only be something that you would sign off on yourself. And there are plenty of things we know that Jesus would sign off on. He, he says the kingdom of heaven looks like this. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Uh, the, the hungry are fed, the naked are clothed. These are things of the kingdom. If you want to go about, go do those things, go do those things. You know Jesus is about that. But if it's not that, then you have to be really careful. What is, what is God saying and how do I align my will with God's? So prayer, that's what prayer is. It's really aligning our will with God's. And, and I would submit that it even goes beyond that because most of the time, I'll speak for myself here, um, when I'm not aligned with God, it's not God's fault. That's me. It's my own selfishness. So what I have to do is I have to ask God for the power to bend my will, to change my will, to bend it over to God's will. And, and the, those of you who've ever aligned your car or if you've ever, like me, had a joint that was out of place, if your knee ever popped out or your shoulder ever popped out in sports, you know how terrible it is to have that thing aligned, how terrible it is to have that put back in place until it's in place. And then you could not be more grateful but man, it hurts getting it there, isn't it? Isn't that true? If you've got something out of alignment, out of whack, if your back's off, if your knee's off, if your shoulder's off, if your neck's off, it is terrible, particularly in the process of getting it aligned, but when it is, it's better. The healing comes. Life happens around that when it's aligned. So the other thing that's true about prayer is this, that it's a reminder of our dependence upon God. What's the key word there, friends? Dependence. Right? Not independence. And I know that I am really hiking up the hill uh, on this one because America, you know, is all about Independence Day. I mean, we are a country founded on being independent. The harsh reality of that is Christianity is based on dependence. Dependence on Jesus, on the Savior of the world. Not one country, but all countries. All people, all times. And so this dependence is a requirement of our faith. And, and if, if you're like me, there are parts of me that really want to fight that. I mean, I want to choose what I do with my life oftentimes, don't you? You, you want to choose when you get up and when you go to bed and what you eat, what you don't eat, um, you know, what you do with your time. I mean, we're all kind of wired like that. But God says, I have a better way for you. If you will give up that control and you will trust me, I will give you a life that you've never even dreamed of. Peace that passes understanding that the world does not and cannot know without the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. So in John, the scripture says this, after Jesus had spoken these words uh, to his disciples, he's looked up to heaven and he said, I'm not asking you to take them, meaning the disciples, out of the world, no, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. Now that's true for us as well. Jesus isn't taking us out of the world. We live in the world. Uh, we're not of the world, but we're in the world, right? And Jesus says, God, I want you to protect them from the evil one. Now here's the thing about logic. Jesus would not say protect them from the evil one if there was not a evil one, right? And so uh, in our tradition, we might know that as the devil or the forces of darkness. Now, when we say that, we don't mean the, you know, the deviled ham dude with the little tail and the ears. That's not what we're saying. But we know if Jesus says protect them from the evil one, the, the forces of darkness, not of light, then there must be that. Now, in the Hebrew, what Jesus would have understood as the evil one 
is a Hebrew word known as hasatan. Now, you'll notice that we get our word Satan from hasatan, which means the accuser, uh, that accusing voice. And some people are reticent to pray because the evil voice comes alongside the voice of God. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll think that God's against us instead of for us. We'll lay down our heads to pray, or we'll, we'll kneel to pray, or we'll get in a comfy chair to pray. And the next thing we know is every bad thing that's ever happened in our life, or everything that we've forgotten to put on our grocery list, or that we didn't feed the dog that day, or pick it. And all those things come to mind, so we don't want to pray, because we don't want to go through that. Now, Richard Foster, in his great works, The Celebration of Discipline and A Book on Prayer, both of those are awesome, I recommend them to you. He simply says this, look, that's going to happen. Right? We're humans. We live in a fallen world. So when all those thoughts come, just have a legal pad beside you. Just write them down. Oh, yeah, we do need pickles. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to pray about it. I mean, you can. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know, just put it down on your list. You know, all these things, and you set that aside. Then you go back into the presence of God. And you say, okay, God, teach me. What do you want to talk about today? What, what do you want to do today? What do you want to teach me today? How can I see you today? And this is so important, friends, because God's voice is direct and loving and kind. And when I start to do the whole grocery list thing, I'm like, oh, God, yeah, and, and, and bless my mom and dad, and bless my dog, and bless the boys at college, and, and bless these folks at, at the church, and bless these folks at the school, um, and, and help me with this or help me with that. I normally get a two-word answer back from God. You know what God says to me? I am. I am helping you. I am blessing you. I am doing this. Now, if you know Exodus 3, that's hysterical because that's God's name. God thinks he's so funny. And he is. He says, I am. But when we do the laundry list thing with God... God's voice is solid, consistent, loving, and faithful. And he simply says, I am. I am. I'm here for you. You don't need to worry about this. So here's the, the key point I want you to hear. This voice of the accuser is the voice of the evil one. Okay? So, try this with me. Evil's voice sounds like this. Never blank enough. Go ahead and fill that in your head. Never blank enough. What is that for you? When Brene Brown, Ph.D., she works down in Houston, I recommend her work to you, uh, she says in her book, uh, Daring Greatly, that when she would do this survey over thousands and thousands of people, immediately it started to fill it in really fast. Like, I'm not good enough, I'm not perfect enough, I'm not thin enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not successful enough, I'm not safe enough, I'm not extraordinary enough. You pick it, it got filled in, and you filled it in for yourself as well. Everybody has that piece of us. We're not enough. Maybe you had somebody growing up that said, you're not enough this, you're not enough that, you're not enough like your sister, you're not enough like your brother, you're not enough this, you're not enough that. That's not God's voice, friends. God's voice is you are good. You are very good. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I love you. And I have come to earth to save you and to give my life for you. You are everything to me. God loves you, friends. We can't get these voices mixed up. And so Brene Brown in her book, she says that Lynn Twist refers to this spin as scarcity. And this scarcity is the great lie. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It certainly happened to me. Sometimes when you wake up, what is your first thought? Maybe it was this morning. When you woke up this morning, you thought to yourself, I didn't get enough sleep. Didn't get enough. First thought in the morning. And, and if you're not careful, when you go to bed, your, your last thought before you, your head hits the pillow for those whatever hours those are, is you think, well, gosh, today I just didn't get enough what? Done. And for you know, when you wake up to the time you go to bed, I didn't have enough, I didn't get enough done, I didn't get enough sleep, I don't have enough this, I don't have enough that. And you live in anxiety and you hustle for your worth and your life is not life at all. It is simply a rat race and you are a rat and it hurts and it's hard and it's not worth living and you don't like it but you don't know what to do 
We can spend our days and nights worrying and complaining about what we don't have enough of, and it's different for everybody. I went to a funeral um, just a few weeks ago, and the priest uh, there said this. He said, you know, um, there will be more than 6,000 people that die in the next hour. Some of them are going to die from starvation, and others of them are going to die from overeating. And some of them are going to die from thirst, and others are going to die from drowning. And he went on like this for about seven minutes. The thing is, we're all going to die. We're all going to die of something, but it's varied. It's very varied. And so the thing is, what, instead of saying we don't have enough of, we can say, you know, in God, we're enough. We can stop that spin. And, and so we have, we have this problem of, of not praying. And the less we pray, the more we will believe the myth of self-reliance. That, that God didn't do that, I did it because I had to do it. And now that I've done it, then I'm going to make the decisions. And the spin continues. And we cut God out of the equation. And we're miserable. But we don't want to admit it to anybody. And so the psalmist thousands of years ago said this. When things were going great, I crowed, I've got it made. I'm God's favorite. He made me king of the mountain. But then God looked the other way and I fell to pieces because it was all a facade. It was all just something to make myself feel better. You see, friends, prayer for us, for Christians, is a necessity just like breathing. You can't follow Jesus if you don't talk to Jesus. You can't follow God if you're not interested in what he's saying. So you can pray by reading the scriptures, you can pray by meditating, you can pray by breathing. Jesus, help me. Jesus, show me. Martin Luther, 500 years ago last month, um, in 1517, started the Reformation. He said this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. More than 500 years is absolutely true. Yet, the scripture says, and that's why it says it, pray without ceasing. This, the Greek word is adieleptos, which means uninterrupted, without omission. That doesn't mean trying to pull off uh, you know, the dinner table prayer. It means opening yourself, living a life in a position, a posture, and a place where God is working. And you see him and you join God there. As an example, uh, the Herzbergers here on the second row uh, were kind enough to allow me to come over to their home a few weeks ago uh, and, and video their story uh, about praying and listening to God and what that is. And I want to share that with you. Um, and I, I want to share it with you uh, because everybody's got a story. You've got a story. They have a story. Your story may not be like theirs, um, but it is important and it's good. And I want to show it to you now. Hi, I'm Brimley and these are my parents. I'm Alan. This is Jenny. Uh, we've been coming to Acts 2. We've been, we've been members of Acts 2 since 2010. Uh, we actually first visited in 2008. So to say that we don't uh, move very quickly would be an understatement. We visited for two years before joining. Um, and we're new to church life. Uh, we were new. It was our first real church community uh, to join. And uh, uh, we were new to the idea of giving. And so we uh, did start out giving. But we didn't give, out, give a, a really a lot. And honestly, uh, my perspective was that the idea of tithing was a, not really a modern concept and not something that was very applicable to our life with three very young children at the time. I was pretty skeptical about, about giving in general. Like you said, we had three kids in daycare, and I had my own budget to worry about, and funding the church budget wasn't really high on my list. And my parents had kind of had a bad experience with um, a church where they kind of made them feel bad for, for not giving, and they were kind of felt ashamed and embarrassed and 
really angry and never went back. And so that's kind of what I grew up with. And so when, when the discussions around tithing came around, um, I wasn't really, we weren't really planning to. So when we joined, Mark had, uh, we had talked to Mark about uh, the idea of how we, you know, tithing. And um, like I said, Jenny was really a little concerned about that conversation, but you know, it went really well. Mark had talked about how we need to pray about it and think about what we need to give. And um, as we discuss it, whichever the uh, smaller amount was, let's start there. And we were doing that. Uh, and, uh, and there was one uh, particular sermon as well that uh, uh, touched Jenny as she remembers. And you want to describe that? Yeah, Mark, he had two people get up on the stage and um, he had one person holding in two hands money in, in both hands and he had a, the other person toss more money towards that person and, and the person holding the two couldn't catch it because their hands were full and, and the analogy was that we that's what we do with God is that we hold so tightly to what we've earned and and what is our safety and our security that we don't open our hands for the blessings that we could get if we were allowing them to come in. And so that sermon kind of touched me. And then in 2012, I started in um, Disciple and we came to a, a conversation around giving. And, um, and then we went, I went home and we talked and made the decision to start giving which was a big decision because we had a new car, we had had an income change that year. Um, and so um, we decided if we did it and we were gonna be broke, we would just go back to where we were. And so um, we made the commitment. And then two weeks later, um, I got diagnosed with breast cancer. And so that was really scary because the first thing that goes through your mind, of course, is am I gonna die? And the second thing that weighed really heavily on me very close second was are we going to go broke trying to get through this and so that was a hard time and uh yeah so as you said we had uh, we were making less we uh, had a new car payment uh we uh um, and we were starting to tithe but it was something that we wanted to stay committed to even as we were um you know going to start our new battle uh, against breast cancer and that was uh, uh and and you know quite a challenge for us and but we were really blessed through that process. Um, you know, we had a great small group that was uh, very helpful and uh, very giving. We started, uh, you know, even though we, we went through the process not really knowing how we were going to financially make it through, I remember those, those thoughts about, well, this is just gonna be an interesting, interesting time, but we decided to go to Houston and uh, get treated in the Anderson, and uh, we had help all along the way, whether it was uh, members of Acts 2 helping, uh, friends, you know, donating uh, their time. Uh, uh, we had uh, acquaintances giving us points uh, for flights and for hotels, uh, clients of uh, Jenny's that were helpful in that way. Um, we were really blessed through that process and we um, continued to give faithfully. And each year, though we were maxed out on insurance, maxed out on really all of our uh, medical bills, we were able to end each, uh, each year you know, not in debt medically. And so, uh, you know, years later, five years later, Jenny's uh, uh, five years away from her diagnosis, cancer-free, um, and uh, we are continuing to uh, give and feel really good about our title because we feel like um, it's a, a great way to know that we are helping to change the world, and that's what I feel great confidence in, um, that uh, when I hear how our how our gifts are used, not only within the church, but outside the church, 
Um, I feel like I couldn't have come up with any of those thoughts on my own, and I couldn't have changed the world that way on my own. And so it's something that uh, we are committed to. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for sharing. Uh, that's great. Um, I want to make sure that you don't hear what they're not saying. Um, they didn't bargain with God and say, hey, if, if we tithe, you're going to cure me of cancer. Uh, and, and notice that they didn't say because they tithe, she was cured of cancer. I'm hearing you right, right? And so there are a lot of things that you might sort of start to read into. We're not doing that. That's not what we're doing. What we're saying is, is they had a sense that God was calling them to do this. And the rest of it worked out. The point showed up for the flights. The point showed up for the hotel. The, the medical cost worked its way out. Right? They're, they're not saying that, hey, um, I tithe and we got a new house. We got a new car. We did this. That. No, no, no. There's, there's none of that there. It's simply power sharing power steering god asked us to do this we took a step and god made it work god made it okay and so uh, i'm so grateful that you're willing to share your story if you have questions about that please see them and talk to them about that um it's it's important everybody's got a story you've got a story the important thing is that you take a step into it by listening to god and responding to him i want to invite um, dr kyle canister our finance chair to come up uh, and share with us um and we want to say thank you to him for leading us uh, in this time. Oh, we are missing a microphone. Do we have a microphone somewhere? Anybody? There it is. We found it. Come on up, Kyle. Will you all welcome him? All right, thanks. Thanks. Um, I joined the finance team a few years ago because I wanted to serve the church, and I like numbers a lot. Um, I mean, I really like numbers a lot. Some of you, as kids, may have gone on long car rides and played the alphabet game. We didn't have the alphabet game in my family. If I was acting up in the back, Dad would say, Kyle, what's 17% of 243? <laughs> that kept me quiet for a while. That worked out pretty well. And I don't know if it's chicken or the egg, but I like numbers a lot. Numbers are great. They, they quantify. They, they help you see things very concrete, but they can also be divisive or, or separating. And that's not what we want this series to do. As the finance chair, I get to be part of this series, as well as the capital campaign that we're going to be doing in the spring. And what impresses me about this series is that it's very unifying. We're all going through the devotional. We're all discussing the series in our small groups. All our youth and children are learning about giving in their time together. We're all considering how generosity is important, applies to, and necessary for being a Christ follower. So I want you to take the step chart out of your um, bulletin today. It's the full sheet that you have in there. And please, if you're visiting with us, know that this is a family conversation. This is not meant to alienate you in any way, but just bear with us for a moment. So the front of the step chart has the different levels on it. And you can see what it does underneath the step is it translates an annual gift into a monthly dollar amount. So the second step, you see it's up to $500 annually, means that you'd be giving $1 to $42 monthly. And we're going to fill in the numbers of the households. If you'll take the pen out of the chair in front of you, that'll let you fill in the numbers of households that are on each of these steps for the Acts 2 community. The first uh, step is 23. The second is 34. The next number up is 21. The next number is 36. The next number is 24. The next number up is 12. Anybody got a bingo yet? No? <laughs> anyway, we'll keep going. Next is 20. Next number is 21, then 19, then 20, then 8, and 8 again, then 6, then 2, 
and then zero at the very top. So there's important things to take from this chart. Um, this is not designed for you to find yourself on it and then make some comparison or judgment. This is not for if you find yourself in the middle, think, hey, I'm doing pretty good. Or at the top, hey, I'm really doing great. This, this chart is not meant to be rewarding or recognizing or punitive in any way. Okay, This is simply a self-critical tool that you're going to find yourself on. Then once you know that, you can then determine what you're going to do next. Okay, And on the back of the chart, you'll see that this is a little tablet set up. If you're not a numbers nerd like me, you may need a little help in figuring out where you want to be. If your income is 15000 on the left at the top and you're giving 2% of your income to the church, you're giving $25 a month. Or on that same line, if your income is 15000 and you're giving 10% tithing, your gift would be 125 a month. So that'll kind of help you figure out in this process. What you need to do now is, you know, wherever your household is on that step chart, find that, talk about it with your family, talk about it with Mark, pray about it, and then listen. Listen, how many steps or step are you going to take over the next year? Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate that. We all show your appreciation to him and really all the finance committee as they do this work for us. And you may say to yourself, well, I don't, I don't really know what to do with this. I don't know what you want me to do with this. I don't know how to pray about that. Well, I want to show you the prayer that, that I would recommend for all of us, uh, whether you go to our church, whether you don't go to our church, because this, this is about uh, riding the ship of your life. It really is. Um, and it says this, God, based on your goodness, nothing else, but God, your goodness and blessings in my life, just ask the question, where do you want me to be in my giving? Wherever that is, whether we're your church, whether we're not your church, um, whether you're giving here, giving somewhere else, have the conversation with God this week. God, based on your goodness and blessings in my life, where do you want me to be in my giving? Will you pray that with me? God, based on your goodness and blessings in my life, where do you want me to be in my giving? Now, it may surprise you uh, that I know there's a family or two here that have lost their job or have retired. And, and more than likely for those folks, they need to step down. They, need, they do. That's faithful because uh, they, need, they need to move to where they're at a, a tithe, not more than a tithe. They need, they need to step uh, back because they lost their job. We understand that. But for most of us, um, that's going to be a step or two. For a very few of us, that may be a step of three or four or five. But wherever it is, there's no judgment there. It's really a conversation between you and God who loves you, calls you good, and is not accusing you. That's not God's voice. If you hear an accuser's voice, no, that's not God. That's not one you need to listen to. Listen to the, the small, still voice of the Lord who loves you and woos you into faithfulness. So our action steps are, are, are simply these, friends. Number one, give up control. That's easy, right? No, of course not. This is, this is tough stuff. Give up control. Give up control. And the, way, the reason this is so important, friends, is God is inviting you to give up control. Um, and I don't know if, if you've ever experienced this or if you've known someone like this, that it didn't matter what house they lived in, what neighborhood they were in, what state they lived in, what job they had, it seemed like things were always rolling off their coffee table. Have you ever been at one of those coffee tables? You go visit somebody's house, you put the pen down, and it rolls off the table, and you put it back on, and it rolls off the table. You ever been to that house? Maybe I'm the only one. And, and you put it there, and it rolls off. You, what do you need to do? You, you need to put something under one of the legs, right? 
because otherwise it's going to roll off the table. And, and I've just met some folks that it didn't matter where they lived or what happened or what they had on their table. It was always coming off the coffee table. Didn't matter. Some of you have lived there. You know what I'm talking about. And, and as a pastor of more than 20 years now, I, I want you to know that the legs that often get shorted in the Christian life are the ones that are common to all life. Uh, the first leg that normally gets shorted is Sabbath observance. People are overworked and overtired. They overwork because they're afraid that they're going to lose their job. Their trust is in their job and in money and not in God. And so it's short. And it doesn't matter what job they have. They overwork. They overfunction. Stuff keeps falling off their table. Now, if, you've got to be rested, friends. Sabbath observance is there as a command, as a blessing to bless you. The other one that gets shorted is tithing. Because when God does not have control of your calendar or your bank account, things are going to roll off your table. They just are. If you want peace in your life, you've got to shore those up. I mean, you really do. This is about having a good, peaceful life, a peace that the world does not and cannot know without following Jesus, not just believing in him, but actually following him. You have to give up that control, give God control of your time and your finances, and you'll be amazed at how that table sits on up for you. And it doesn't matter now where you live or what you do or who's around or your circumstance. All of a sudden, you can be at peace no matter what's going on around you. The second thing is to pray that God's kingdom would come not just to you as a child would pray, but that God's kingdom would come through you. Now, if you're little or you're brand new to the faith, that Jesus' kingdom would come to you, that's a fine prayer to start. There's nothing wrong with starting there. But if you are maturing in your faith, you want God's kingdom to come through you. You want to be a conduit of love and blessing and kindness and transformation in your own life and in the world. This is the prayer of a mature disciple, to pray that God's kingdom would come through you that you would join God in what God's doing and the world would be transformed. Amen? Amen.